That's beautiful, Monty. Thank you. Good morning, church. Well, it's not morning, is it? <laughs> Good afternoon, church, and Merry Christmas to all of you. If you're just joining us today, visiting with us, welcome to the NM Church. And I, I like to say to visitors from time to time, if you're looking for a perfect church, keep looking uh, and let me know if you find one. Uh, but if you're looking for a place where people are free to be real, to come as they are to the one who is perfect and who did get it right, uh, we're a group of folks that are imperfect, but we love each other and uh, you are free to be who you are when you come. So welcome. Um, we're glad you're here. Uh, obviously, we are finishing up our, our preparation and celebration of this season, uh, and we focused on this theme of great expectations, where little by little we know that God is bringing more and more of his light into the world. We've symbolized that through this beautiful little simple symbol of the wreath, uh, the Advent wreath, and these uh, weeks leading up to it. I'll, I will light the final candle here, as we did last night in our Christmas Eve service. That white candle symbolizes the presence of Jesus, the gift of God's light in the world. As I'm doing this, again, I, all, all this season, I've encouraged you just to think about this, maybe this time, as a time you can direct that prayer, a prayer of expectation to God. He fulfilled his promise on the day that we celebrate today, but he's not finished yet. So is there some place in your life, some world, some, some picture of darkness, some symbol of darkness, and you want to ask God to show up in that place? We worship the God who shows up. So as I light this candle, I encourage you to um, offer that prayer to him. Give you a moment of silence and I'll take us out of that. Let's pray. Father God, we do celebrate that you are a God who shows up. In the times and the places we need you most... In times we think we need you the least, you are there and you are here today. And we celebrate together as a church family. Thank you for bringing us together and thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus, that you gave to us and we celebrate on this day. In the glorious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want you to think for a moment with the theme of this season, it might be helpful to orient ourselves out of the text we read by thinking about um, your perspective of darkness moving to light. Um, there is the key passage, again, all of the passages we've looked at in the weeks leading up. We focused on the book of Matthew. Now we're going to go to the Old Testament prophecies that Matthew is playing off of both last week and this week. So if you have your, uh, your Bibles, your devices you read on, we're going to read in Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verses 2 through 7. Prediction over 700 years before the day that we celebrate today. This is the word of the Lord from Isaiah. Verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep, deep darkness, a light has dawned. You've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. As warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning and will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
of the greatness of his rule and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Let's pray. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You ever been afraid of the dark before? Have you ever had seasons or times in your life you've been afraid of the dark? If the children are in here, if you still struggle with a little bit of fear of the darkness, don't worry because all of us have. And by the way, most of us still have a little picture of that somewhere in our lives. I remember one time, I think we were in middle school still at the time, and me, uh, my best friend, and, and uh, Ron is his name, and I were walking down a road. It was, it was less probably than, less than two miles from our house. We were coming home at night. Now, you got to get this picture. Like, we knew what we were doing, but we intentionally started to try to scare each other in the darkness. This, this road didn't have a lot of um, uh, light outside, and so we'd walk up to cars, and we would say, there's something behind it, and we would kind of scare each other. And then we would say, there's this rattling over there. What is that? I, listen, we knew what we were doing. But by the time we got halfway up that street, we were terrified. You could feel it in your body. We, we were scared to death. I'm just thinking it's true just in a silly moment like that, but also the fears that we have when we go to bed as kids, all those kind of things. There is something about darkness that triggers fear in almost every human heart that's ever lived. We all wrestle with that one way or another. As we've talked throughout the season, we've used that as a metaphor because we know that what is true in a physical sense is true in a deeper sense, spiritually or symbolically. What is the darkness that you wrestle most with in the world? Because there are different kinds of darkness, right? Uh, there's the darkness of uncertainty and confusion. When you're trying to make a decision, you're trying to kind of go into the next stage or direction of your life, it might even be something exciting. But when you don't know, there's a sense of darkness. Sometimes there's the darkness of pain and suffering in circumstances of our lives, and we wrestle with that. Sometimes there's the darkness of failure. We've all made decisions and choices in our lives that end up as train wrecks as we go further on and we sit in the darkness of moments like that. What do you do in the darkness? Here's the thing. We learned early on as children and later on then as parents and as grandparents going on, what is the great comfort for kids when you're dealing with the fear of the dark? What do we do? Well, there's a comfort of a nightlight, right? We all have one version or another. You might even think about one when you were a kid, maybe one that you even have now. Uh, what, what is the comforting nightlight that, that you have gone to? <laughs> one of the great things about living in an age now with cell phones is uh, there's not a light too far away most of the time. But part of what I want us to see, there's a lot in the passage I just read. Believe me, we won't go through all of that. I want to focus on one simple image. One image in the text that we find here and the one that is behind it just a couple chapters before that you're very familiar with usually on a day like this. I want you to think about this. What the Bible tells us in the story of God, the child is the nightlight. I want you to think about this. The child in the story is the nightlight for the darkness of the people of God. In other words, the child is a sign and a symbol of the hope that light brings. We know this. There is something about light that when it shows up, it naturally pushes away the fears that we had in the dark. 
And the biblical story here, and again, a couple chapters before, will tell us that the child is the symbol of the hope and the light of God coming into the world. And just for a moment, I just want to think through a couple things like, how is that true? I know we celebrate it and it's easy to kind of, okay, we got Christmas and Jesus. And, but here's the thing, how is it that God uses a child as a symbol of hope for us in the dark places of our lives? Well, the first thing I want us to recognize is that a child, especially back then in what they're going through, but it's true for us even as we reflect on it today, the child is an image of vulnerability. And there's something about God saying, I'm going to show up in the form of a vulnerable, dependent child that's going to send a message about how that I work in the world and what I'm doing. But before we get to Jesus, what I really want to do, this story is in the Old Testament. This is really important to recognize. Before we rush to Jesus, this text here and the one that we think about often on Christmas mornings, that text meant something back then too. Understand, these words were written and prophesied over 700 years before the first Christmas day that we recognize it was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. And here's the way to think about it. When those words were first spoken, when this prediction of a child coming were first given, it was given in a time of incredible vulnerability. Here's a way to think about it. It's a picture, if you put this up, I don't know if you can see this uh, visibly at all, but I want you to understand these words were given to the people of God when they were located in that purple area down in the south of, uh, of, of Israel, and at that time it was called Judah. Here's a way to think about it. Um, they had a civil war too, only they didn't stay as one united nation. There was a period of time in this particular place in biblical history, the division had already happened between northern Israel, and it gets confusing when you get here because it'll talk about that as Israel, but it's not the whole thing. That's just the northern part, and you see that up there in the green. And then the southern part of the people of God, and that's where God's remnant, God's promise will come through the southern part. The northern parts have already kind of rebelled and run away from God. And this prophecy is coming to the king of Judah and the people in the southern kingdom. But what's going on is way up north, here's the vulnerability. And this may feel like, I know you're boring me with a history lesson. I want you to feel, they're feeling on a national scale what we all experience. They're scared to death of a force bigger than them coming in and taking them out. Because what's going on in the little area in the purple in Judah is the folks in the northern Israel and in Damascus and Aram and Syria are attacking them. They're threatening them, and the king is scared. They're vulnerable by people more powerful than they are surrounding them. It's kind of like what's going on in the world today in Russia and Ukraine. There is that fear. It still happens. It's an old story. Still happening. Happens in your life, too. Is there some force, some oppression, some scary circumstance that looms over you? This story was given, and the prediction of the child came to a time of great vulnerability. There's one other thing that makes them incredibly vulnerable, even in the South. In this little purple area where uh, they're supposed to be the remnant of the people of God, the king at that time is a man named Ahaz, and he's an incredibly wicked and evil man. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you're part of a group of people or a community or something like that, and the one leading can't carry it? They're not worthy of being followed. Well, that's what's going on now. He's an incredibly evil man. He's selling out, building shrines to false gods. Listen, part of his absolute evil he actually sacrificed his own sons to a pagan god this is 
the leader of the men and the people of God. And what's he doing right now? This whole story of the prediction of the child that we think about, we rush to Jesus. It happened at a time where his best idea to get out of his struggle. Now listen, pay attention to what you do when you're scared. Where will you run and where will you turn? Instead of doing what the leader of the people of God should have done, turn to God and say, God, what do you want me to do? He said, I'm going to go way up, it's off the screen, to the northeast, to a kingdom called Assyria, and I'm going to ask them for help. Now, if you know anything about the Old Testament story, he, they end up starting helping a little bit, but they end up being the very people that take him out. So that's the picture of what's going on. And I want you behind this story is the one that we're probably a little bit more familiar with. Back in Isaiah chapter 7, this is what Isaiah says to this wicked king who's trying to run away from God and get help some other way. Again, I know this sounds like an old history lesson. Hear me. How many times in your life when you've been scared of something, you said, I'm going to take charge of this. I'm going to work it out. I'm going to take control. That's what the king does. But this is what, this is what Isaiah says to him. No, God's going to give you a sign. Isaiah 7, verse 14, the Lord will give you a sign. The virgin, or at that time, the word can also just mean young maiden. The young woman will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now listen to this part. We hear that part and we rush to Jesus. This is what you need to hear. Why did he give him that sign? And before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, before the boy grows up and even knows what he's doing and making his own choices, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. So I want you to think about this for a moment. Before this prophecy of the child that will come and the young woman will give birth and name him Emmanuel, before it meant Jesus, it meant something back then too. At the beginning of this series, uh, Tyler talked about the, the function of prophecy in the Old Testament. Sometimes it's like looking at mountains. You see one and then there's another. It's fulfilled first in the Old Testament and then it's fulfilled more fully in Jesus. I just want to ask a question for the moment. Before we rush to Jesus, let's do that. What did it mean back then? By the way, if you are planning to have a child, especially a son, or if you are a grandparent and you're going to have a child, I want you to get a pen, get ready. If you want a name for your child, I've got a great biblical name. You ready for this one? Because in the next chapter, I believe the first predict, I mean, the fulfillment of the prophecy was Isaiah's own child. You want this name for this? Are you ready for this? Um, Isaiah chapter 8, verses 1 and then 3 is, and I've had to practice 15 times, my hair shall haul hashbaz. You got that one? I know you want, you're going to rush home, you're going to name your kid this. Maher Shalal Hashbaz. It means swift to plunder, quick to carry away. What's the picture of this? Hear me. God says, you're rushing to run away from me because you're scared to death of these nations up there. Do you know that? There's going to be a child that's going to be born. Before he even grows up to know right from wrong, they're going to be gone. And every time Ahaz saw Isaiah's child, he was reminded that he didn't have to run. He didn't have to get help somewhere else. Sometimes the promise of God doesn't feel like it's quick and coming. But when God delivers, he delivers quickly and completely. And the prediction of the child was given in a time of incredible vulnerability. Hear me. Even when you are struggling, even when you are most scared and overwhelmed, please believe God is coming. We worship the God who's going to show up and his deliverance, hear me, is so much more powerful than whatever you will concoct or make up in your mind. Before we see the fulfillment of Jesus, we hear something really important. Hear me, this isn't just 
700 years before Jesus, 2,700-year-old story, it happens again and again and again. How many times in your life has your plan to make you feel more comfortable, more peaceful, more happy, more excited about life, turned around and taken you out? Anytime we base our life and our security and our peace of mind in anything other than God, it may work for a little while, but just like the picture of Ahaz, it will turn around and be the very thing that will imprison you and take you out. God says, hear the promise of the child who shows up in our greatest vulnerability. Second thing that I see here is that in the image of a child, what we see is a picture of growth. Now, follow me on this. I know this sounds a little bit silly, but think about this. How many parents ever have a child and they bring the baby home? They say, wonderful, we had the baby. Awesome. We're done. Is that what parents do? We have the baby and there it is. Wonderful. Let's just go on with our lives. When the child is born, are we finished? No. What are we doing? We're investing in something that will grow, a being that will grow and get bigger and stronger and more manifest in our lives. The point, hear me, God isn't finished when the child comes. And when he gives us an image of coming and showing up in the world as a child, what he's saying, listen to me, this is so powerful. Sometimes God will say, look, I'm here. And my promise is working out, but sometimes you think I'm not around. Why? Because my promise is in its infancy. My promise is just in taking baby steps right now. You haven't seen it grow up yet. God is sometimes present in our lives, but he starts and he grows up with us. Listen, parents do this all the time. I can think of several times, and once I say this, I bet you have your moments. If you are parents or your grandparents, you might think about this. Comical, silly things we'll do with our kids sometimes. I'm telling our Bible class about this first one, but I remember uh, the first time we moved to Texas. Melanie was already on the way, and so I was packing up a few more things. I was in the attic of our house in Virginia. A bunch of our stuff was gone, and it hit me. It was evening, and I was, you know, first child. I was super OCD and disciplined and all that stuff, and I'm like, I don't want Christine to go to bed without reading her a story. Problem was, all the books are gone. All the stuff is gone. I'm up in the attic. The only thing I had in front of me was a box of my old papers from undergraduate. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to do something. Got Melly on the phone. If you remember this, I pulled it out. And I pulled out, I'm not making this up, I pulled out my philosophy thesis for my undergraduate work. It was entitled, Plato's Apology, Gorgianic Adaptation or Sincere Defense. And I read it to my daughter, who was three years old. <laughs> now, it's silly, and it was fun, and I enjoyed doing it just for the... Honestly, I wanted to hear her to hear her father's voice. And it was playful, and it was fun, and it was all that I had. I, I also think about moments like when both of our sons were born. One of the first things I did is I put footballs in their cribs. <laughs> Long before they knew anything about the rules of the game, uh, our, our sons would come, Luke would come and, and block me, David would do this and call it stiff arm. He had no idea what he was talking about, but he did it from a young child. Why do we do things like that? Partially, it's just fun and it's engaging. But listen, there are times as parents, we put symbols and images in our children's lives knowing that they will grow into them. 
Now, my daughter didn't understand a word that I said when she was three years old, but she would understand it today. In fact, she could probably write it better than her father. And certainly both of my sons can outperform me in any athletic event. They grew into it. Listen to me. Sometimes God will bring his promise into your life and it will be in its infancy stage. And God tells you, I'm with you until it grows up in you. Isn't that glorious? That's one of the reasons he gives us the image of him showing up as a child. He grows with us. Is the world not what it should be right now? You better believe it. Wonderful, because God will grow. If you read these verses in its original setting, don't you think you would look at it and say, no way. This looks way too good to be true, and it certainly isn't true. Read some of the promises in chapter 9. Every implement of warfare is going to be burned because we don't need battle stuff anymore. Is that true? Was that true back then? Oh my gosh, no. But it is something God cast a vision and he's going to grow into it. All of the people that were oppressed before and scared to death are going to be singing songs of joy. Was that true? Is it even true now that Jesus has come the first time? Not yet. But God says, trust me, the promise is happening, but it's growing up. My favorite line in the promise here in chapter 9 is it says, this child will be born and the government will be on his shoulders. What a beautiful image. Have you ever recognized a leader that the job is too big for their shoulders? Honestly, when we think about the ruling of the world, is there any human leader with shoulders big enough, consistent enough, and strong enough to bear the load? No, but there will be one that comes, and he will bear the government of the entire universe on his shoulders, and he can take it. Does it feel that way right now? No, but I'm telling you, what we recognize on Christmas morning is that God has birthed this promise. It just hasn't grown up yet. That's why one of the great images of the Christian faith Paul gives us in Galatians 4. He said, I work with you, the spiritual community, and I'm wrestling as in pains of labor until Christ is formed in you. The New Living Translation, until Christ is fully developed in you. People talk about where we get this language of spiritual formation that's now trendy to say all the time, right in the Bible. Paul says, God has birthed something in you, but the goal in the Christian faith is not just to be birthed, but to grow up. God says, I'm just getting started. And Christmas reminds us when you look at your life and you're thinking, oh my goodness, I'm not what I want to be or this world isn't what it's supposed to be. Hear the promise of God. The promise is already here. It's already born. He just needs to grow it up. Last thing I want us to see, and I know this is a, 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 not the most exciting way to put it on Christmas morning, but follow me here. I want us to pay attention <laughs> And notice God's grammar lesson here in the story, right? God gives us a little grammar lesson, right? You might say, oh my gosh, Christmas morning, I don't want to talk or think about grammar. Really, really easy one, though. I want you to see this. You put the next slide up because you'll see these two passages. In chapter 7 and chapter 9, notice the difference in the tense of the verb, right? Really easy grammar. Got some teachers, can help you out. This is hard. Follow me on this. Chapter 7, verse 14 says, The young woman will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. What's the tense of that verb? Future. There's a promise in chapter 7 that is coming in the future, but what's different in the text we read today? Notice what it says, chapter 9, verse 6. 
For to, a to us a child is born. To us a son is given. What's the tense of that verb? Present. Now Hebrew's a little bit different, but you understand the same things going on and they translate it this way. It's not on the screen, but verse 2 is even stronger than that. It says the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. I won't ask you what that is, but yeah, we can have fun with that. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. It's past or the perfect tense. It's something that's already happened and the effects are going on in the present. Here's the cool thing. In just two chapters, God is saying it's not just a child will come, a child has come. By the way, the prediction of the Old Testament of the child in chapter 9 is certainly not that. I'm not going to try to say the name again. It's not Isaiah's child. Maybe the first fulfillment of it was probably Hezekiah, Ahaz's son, and he was a pretty good king. But is he wonderful counselor, prince of peace, mighty God? No. That one hasn't happened yet. But isn't this strange? This prediction that wouldn't be fulfilled for another 700 plus years, God talks about it in present and past tense. What's going on there? Hear me, this is so important for those times in our lives when we were tempted to give up hope. I'm telling you, this is a real thing. You look at what's going on in our community. It's easy to give up hope. What do we need to hear? Listen to me. What is God doing with this little grammar lesson? He is reminding us, when God makes a promise... It is as good as done. When God says it's happened, you can say, even if I don't see it yet, it's done. And Christmas invites us to believe like that. And we find ourselves in between Advents. The first coming of Jesus, where he comes as a baby and he promises God doing his thing. The second advent when he comes and fixes everything that's broken. And I'm telling you, it's hard to live between the comings of Jesus. Because sometimes it looks hopeless and dark and despairing. Will we take Christmas Day not just to say, oh, isn't this fun? And let's drink uh, eggnog and cookies. Can we say, I'm going to believe that God, when you say in Jesus, everything that's ever been broken is going to be fixed. I'm going to believe it as if it's already happened when you see great uh, displays of faith in the bible and in the world that's what it looks like you remember the story of the centurion not even a person of the people of god he comes up to jesus and his servant is sick do you remember what he said to jesus just say the word and my servant will be healed and jesus was astounded at his faith Centurion said, I know what power looks like. All you've got to do is say it. And it is what? As good as done. Or I love this picture. Do you ever look at the world? Do you ever look at our church and say, I love our church, but it's not everything that I want it to be? You know what Paul says in Philippians, one of my favorite lines in all the Bible? He said to the Philippian church, and I say this to you, he who began a good work in you, in Jesus, Paul says, I'm confident that he will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ. What he started in Christ, he will finish. And the picture of the child declared in the present of the past tense tells us. The first coming of Jesus in the first Christmas tells us. When God makes a promise, you can bank on it with every part of your being. Because it's as good as done. Even though you don't see it right now. Did you know sometimes God will show us signs of his hope in the strangest places. I think about, for me, one of the strangest places I saw this sign was in a hospital and in a baby's nursery. 
some years ago now, and I think about this, we were discerning of whether or not to leave Texas the first time, and there was a church that invited us to come up and have a conversation. I don't like the word interview when you're talking to a church, but we know, you know, we're interviewing them, they're interviewing us, we're having this conversation. So think this, we're not at this church, we don't even know if we're going to this church. So we leave Lubbock, we go up to Tennessee, and in the couple days we're bouncing around, and, um, and several of them said there, hey, we know you're not even here yet, we don't know if you're coming, but would you be interested in going to the hospital and visiting one of our members here? And, and I later recognized pretty quickly that the deal was if I did end up going there, if I, didn't, if, I, if I didn't meet him then, I probably wouldn't meet him. His name was Dale. Some of you might even know something of him. Dale was an incredibly great man, great man of God. He worked in the world of Christian broadcasting, world Christian broadcasting. Dale Ward was his name. And I went out to visit him in his hospital room in some of the final days of his life. What I will never forget, I went out there with the idea that hey, I would come in, meet this guy, hear these incredible stories, such a great man, and I would pray for him, and I would be an encouragement to him. And I could never tell you how much that man, in one short time, in one short visit, impacted my life. I remember in his final days the stories he told about his calling in life. And I'll tell a larger picture of that story some other time. But what I, I will never forget is his unbelievable faith in his last days. I, I will never forget how he talked like every one of the promises that Jesus gave him and his family and the church and the world had already come true. And what I'll never forget, I went there to pray for him. And he prayed for me and for our family and for our church in that time of transition when he was going through the greatest transition of his life. We went back to Lubbock, discerned that we were going to that church. Came a few months later. And I remember going to the back of the sanctuary one day and Pat, Dale's wife, came up and talked to me. And she told me the rest of the story, what had happened after. You see, when we went up to interview at that time, Melanie was very, very pregnant <laughs> with a little boy whose name is Luke. Pat told me in the back of that room that day. She said, we kind of tracked the story after that you guys left. She said, did you know that the day your son Luke was born was the day that Dale went home to be with Jesus? And she said, that child is a sign to me. The hope of Jesus Christ is real. That death triumphs, life triumphs over death. And she said, he's a sign to me. She said, he's like God's angel in that moment. And she said, our lives are forever connected ever since. A child in a nursery and a hospital room becomes a sign of the hopefulness of God. And I want to tell you on this Christmas morning, I beg you, all of your longings, all of your greatest expectations that you've ever had for yourself and the community you're a part of and the world, would you please bring them to the feet of Jesus, the promised child of God. He's just getting started, but you can bank on it with your being because when God promises, it is as good as done. Father God, we give you praise for the gift of the child. We give you praise for the gift of the Son of God who broke into every vulnerability and pain of this world. You even took it on in yourself and you defeated every force of darkness that we would ever experience. 
And God, we want to be real with you. There are times when what we see more than anything else is the darkness. And it scares us and it overwhelms us. Would you remind us again this Christmas that your redemption of all of human history is as good as done in Christ. The resurrection of Jesus' body is the first fruits of what you're going to do for the entire cosmos. So use us, Father God, to first receive that promise in our own life and then to share that light and that promise with the world around us. In the glorious, resurrected name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.